Hello everyone, my name is Zachary Rodier and welcome to episode 8 of the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast. We have a fantastic interview for you today uh, with Dan Duba, who is the radio play-by-play announcer for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, This was a really fun interview, especially at the end uh, when Dan uh, made uh, some play-by-play off a fake scenario that I gave him. Dan also is friends with the legendary Doc Emmerich, uh, and Doc was actually his mentor uh, when Dan started um, to explore his career in broadcasting. Um, So a lot of great stories and great messages from this interview. Uh, After the interview with Dan, we will talk about the uh, training camp date that came out and any update on um, Phase 3 and Phase 4 of the NHL plan. Um, But without further ado, let's get you right into that interview with the Vegas Golden Knights radio play-by-play man, Dan Duva. Enjoy. The Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is excited to welcome the Vegas Golden Knights' radio play-by-play announcer. Today's guest explains what takes place during every Golden Knights game. And before that, he used to be the announcer for the AHL's Syracuse Crunch until he worked his way up to the big leagues. His mentor is the legendary Doc Emmerich, and his play-by-play style is very similar to his. Everyone, please welcome Mr. Dan Duva to the show. Uh, Dan, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. Zach, it is my pleasure. Very happy to be with you. So, Dan, uh, how are you holding up uh, during those these times, and what are you up to on the Golden Knights front and personally as well, and how are you staying busy? Yeah, I, uh, I, let's put it this way, Zach. I don't do very well uh, if I'm not doing something. So yeah. uh, I have no shortage of uh, projects or books to read or podcasts to listen to. And uh, it's a huge range of things. First, with the Golden Knights, um, you know, we, even though we don't have games, we've taken an approach similar to what we might do during the off season which is not to say we just put our feet up and do nothing for a few months when the hockey season ends. Um, fans are, are expecting interaction year-round. And uh, from a broadcaster standpoint, that includes a podcast. In fact, we have a, a new Golden Knights podcast coming out this week. Uh, and that includes uh, me, uh, Gary Lawless, who's the Vegas Golden Knights insider, Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty on our television yeah, broadcast. I just spoke to Dave a few days ago. Yeah, he's yeah. Great. Yeah, no, he, he told me. He told yeah. me. And, um, and, and that's, that's fun for us, for, for the four of us to talk, even if it's on a Zoom chat like, like you and I are chatting. That makes it um, a, a little bit different than sitting around a table as we normally would. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's still a way to, to kind of catch up with each other. And in fact, the latest episode that we recorded is, um, goes in line with a podcast uh, and a project that Gary Lawless envisioned, which was about the biggest moments of our careers. And when he's, he had that in mind, it was about the players, the Golden Knights yeah. players each having their big moments. And so we figured, why not uh, ask the other broadcasters about their big yeah. moments? So that one is coming out. And we've done a number of other things. I mentioned the written content for the website and um, for uh, the video reports that we've done a couple of times per week. There have been fit challenges on social media. We've been rebroadcasting games on television and radio. 
Um, and right now they're, they're rebroadcasting games from the Golden Knights inaugural playoff run from 2018. So there are a number of things with the Golden Knights that we are doing to keep the fans engaged and entertained and informed. And when there is news, it's, it's, um, it's important that we have their attention. Yeah. Um, so there, and there has been plenty of news recently. So that's good. And personally, I have now baked chocolate chip banana bread four times. Yeah. That, uh, that is uh, so it's a project. The best type of banana bread. So. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and, I, you know, I, there's, um, you know, I, I enjoy uh, coffee, but in particular, there's a certain method of brewing coffee called the pour over. You get a, a gooseneck kettle and you pour it over the top and there's, it's, uh, it's part science, it's part art, and I enjoy that. I get uh, coffee delivered from uh, my old stomping grounds in Syracuse because I know the fellow who runs the coffee yeah. shop and roasts his own coffee there. And I've been reading quite a bit, and I enjoy documentaries. I enjoy podcasts and some of its current events. A friend of mine is a host on Fox News Radio, Guy Benson. I've been on his show several times. Yeah. Um, Ken Burns' documentaries are just fantastic. Um, the one that I had not watched until recently was the Vietnam War documentary, but uh, the, the Civil War documentary was fantastic, and uh, just so many um, in that vein that Ken Burns has produced, the American Experience, um, PBS. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's the, the fun project, the one that's kind of outside the normal scope of things, Zach, would be digging into my personal archives with VHS tapes from my high school broadcasting days. And, and when I was in high school, I played baseball, but I broadcast football and hockey and lacrosse, among other sports. And we've got uh, these games, four years worth of high school sports from Northern New Jersey uh, on these VHS tapes. And <laughs> they, uh, they, they could uh, you know, fall apart at some point, yeah. at least I'm concerned with that. So uh, I have begun the process and they've gotten a, a pretty good far along the way of digitizing those tapes. Yeah. Uh, to save them to a to big hard drive, and then, you know, people can, uh, I suppose, watch them on, on YouTube. At least the, the friends of mine who were playing in those games, yeah. you know, uh, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, the weather in Vegas is nice, too, so I'm sure uh, you're getting outside and doing other things. But when it comes to the coffee, I, I have no expertise on that because I'm only 16 and I, I don't drink <laughs> coffee all the time. Uh, but when it comes to the podcast, hopefully uh, – this will start get uh, my podcast. Uh, will start to get in your routine as well. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. I know I enjoyed listening to your episode with Kerry Bubbles. That was great. Kerry has been uh, just a terrific leader for the Golden Knights as an organization. Yeah. And uh, though I didn't know him personally, uh, I knew of him from his time in Cleveland, and he was yeah. in charge of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but also the American League team there. Uh, now they're the Cleveland Monsters. They were the yeah. Lake Erie Monsters that won the Calder Cup. So. Uh, I certainly knew of Kerry before I ever met him or began working for him. So I really enjoyed your your podcast with Kerry. It's it's a must listen for anybody who's listening to us right now. You gotta gotta yeah. listen to that episode with Kerry. Yep, great plug. And uh, broadcasting in the NHL is a job that's very difficult to get, whether it's on the radio or on TV. Uh, when did you decide uh, that you wanted to broadcast? Because you were talking that you, like all those VHS tapes and. I mean, in high school, you started doing this. Uh, so how early did you decide that you want to do it, and specifically in hockey? And how hard did you work to get to the NHL, even through the AHL and everything else? Mm -hmm. Hockey more chose me than I chose it. My joke is uh, they keep offering me hockey jobs, so I keep taking them. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it has worked out quite well, no complaints. Uh, and I love hockey. Growing up in New Jersey, 
uh, the New Jersey Devils had been yeah. uh, just a terrific team when I was a kid. And, and that uh, when they won the Stanley Cup in 95, you know, I was nine or 10 years old. And that was very special, especially given the, the loss to the Rangers the year before yeah. in the conference final. That was that was just heartbreaking. So um, I, I would say that the first time I, I thought about broadcasting sports was was probably when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And, and that's maybe the first time it came to me, but I was always a, a sports fan and, um, and an aspiring athlete. <laughs> I, I ended up as an extremely mediocre high school baseball player, but yeah. when I was younger, you know, soccer and um, hockey and stuff, but I, I, I didn't think my athletic career was going to take me much further than that. But I, I as you could tell, I uh, don't ever shut up. I just keep on talking. And that has been a trait I've had for my whole life, apparently. And I, I do remember that uh, just as a kid playing baseball or, or at soccer, I was one of those kids that would never shut up, whether on the field or in the dugout. It just I just kept on talking, and, you know, to encourage your teammates. Sounds so familiar. Yeah. yeah, you know, you always had something to say. And yeah. uh, it, it became, I think, more realistic as I got into middle school. And then you're, you're – you're, not only a, a fan of the game because you're watching the games on TV or you're playing the games, listening on the radio, but you really get to appreciate the announcers. So in New York, um, you know, Marv Albert was doing the Rangers on the radio, the Knicks on TV, Gary Cohen and Bob Murphy doing the Mets, John Sterling and Michael Cade doing the Yankees. You know, I could go on and on. Mike Emmerich, yeah. of course, with the Devils, Sam Rosen with the Rangers, Howie Rose was doing the Islanders and, and on and on and on. So many great announcers that I listened to as a kid. Uh, in the New York area. So you, you begin to think of yourself um, in that way as you start attempting to broadcast sports. So I've got a micro cassette tape recorder uh, that uh, <laughs> I, you know, has recordings from, you know, the, the mid to late nineties, I guess, going to New Jersey devils games yeah. and doing uh, demo play by play. We're sitting in the basement uh, at my house and calling a baseball game off of television. So that's how it started. But uh, I, I think that really to, to better answer your question, it was eighth grade. And I was in a journalism class at GW Middle School in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And the principal of our school taught this journalism class. His name was George Neville. And George began the class by asking us to introduce ourselves and asking us to say, what gives you pizzazz? What's your ambition? And when it came to my turn, I said, well, I'm Dan Duva, and I want to be a sports broadcaster. I don't know if that's the first time I said it out loud or in front of a, a peer group or in a class, but I clearly uh, had thought about it before then or else yeah. it would not have come out of my mouth, right? But that's the first time I can truly visualize the moment I, I can see the classroom. Um, it went around the room to another guy whose name is Guy Benson. And I mentioned him a moment ago. He's on yeah. Fox News Radio and yeah. is a, a town hall editor, uh, among other things, a published author. So when it got to Guy, he said, well, I'm Guy Benson, and I also want to be a sports broadcaster. So uh, we chatted it up. We worked on the middle school newspaper, but then we began to plot what we would do in high school, which was to originally we want to start a radio station. We learned that that was going to have some loopholes. Uh, yeah. So there was a local cable channel already in place that was not being used other than to air the local board of education meetings. And we got in touch with the right people. We got some camera equipment and we began recording the football games. And um, after a couple of uh, failed attempts for one reason or another, 
Um, we nailed it for Ridgewood against Paramus Catholic under the lights in October of 1999. And Ridgewood won on a 29-yard field goal with 19 seconds to go. Good, good. The kick is good with 19 seconds to go. Ridgewood has the lead. And that was um, nearly 21 years ago, I, I guess. And that was the beginning. So through high school and then, um, you know, I, I realized this was something that I wanted to do. And that lasted um, – you know, through the four years in high school and then looking at colleges and Syracuse University was the place that I wanted to go. I'd gotten to know Ian Eagle, who's the voice of the New Jersey Nets, while I was working as a runner for the Yes Network. Um, and uh, that kind of put it all in motion and haven't looked back since. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great to, to do hockey, and, um, and, and that's been a lot of fun. I enjoy hockey. I've done it for a long time. But I also enjoy baseball very much and have done quite a bit of baseball. Uh, I haven't done basketball in a while, but I, I did a lot of basketball when I was in college, uh, football too. So there, there's not a sport that I have turned down. Uh, I've done gymnastics and wrestling. Uh, there aren't too many sports I haven't tried, uh, but there's not a single sport that I would turn down. There's not yeah. a challenge that I would turn down. Yeah. And uh, like you said, you went through the crunch and the HL, uh, but you continued to push uh, to get to the NHL and to get to the big leagues. Uh, what is your message to upcoming broadcasters or to any listener who's listening uh, when it comes to persistence and to keep on working? Well, that's a great question, Zach, because there is a, a need for passion. This is, um, in particular, I think, because it is so competitive, um, a profession that requires passion and a drive. It's not the sort of nine-to-five routine that, that a lot of people experience in their professional life. This is about driving yourself to get better. Um, well, the day you think you're good and you can't get any better is the day that you're done. And that's the same for someone who's in high school like yourself, someone who's in college, someone who's trying to work up through the minor leagues, or someone at the major league level. Uh, Mike Emmerich, you mentioned earlier, I, I learned this from him a long time ago. When he was doing the Devils, he would give himself a letter grade after every game in his head he knew tonight was a b-plus broadcast and then he would get the copy of the game he'd go back to watch it and then reevaluate and think you know what i thought it was a, a b-plus but you know what it was a little bit better than that it was an a minus and here's why here are some things that i thought were good and we can do even better next game or sometimes it went the other way i thought it was an a broadcast but it turned out it was a c plus I misidentified this player, I got this wrong, I used this word too often, this wasn't a smooth interview, whatever. And uh, I think if, if you are striving for excellence, which is what, what I strive for, that's the kind of mindset you need, a growth mindset. And persistence is a big part of it. Um, my mother would say stubborn, <laughs> uh, which is true. Uh, persistence is the positive spin on that. Yes, um, you, you have to have that commitment, the persistence, um, and care about your work. But it, so much of what we do is about relationships and people. And to that end, it's be kind. Um, whether it's chatting with Mike Emmerich or chatting with you, Zach, or chatting with Kenny, the elevator operator at T-Mobile yeah. Arena, or Pete DeBoer, the head coach of the Golden Knights, whomever it is, I don't see any reason why we can't be kind to everyone. And I think that uh, kindness is a way to, to start a friendship, uh, to, to continue a relationship. And um, it might be someone who I meet today that I don't see again for 10 years, or it could be someone I talk to every day. 
Yeah. That, that, that kind of thing is very important. And I think that those relationships, it, I w- I'll say this, Zach, my, my uh, career to this point would not be worthwhile if not for the people that I've met and the relationships that I've built along the way. Yeah, and like uh, you said uh, with Doc Emmerich, uh, tell me a little about um, how he helped you uh, become the broadcaster you are. And I, I've read some articles that uh, you've been you've communicated with him before, and he's really uh, made an impact uh, on your career. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I think the greatest impact is is observing him, listening to him. That is on the air and off the air. As a as a youngster, you know, following hockey, I mean, he was the voice of the Devils, my favorite team. So, in addition to hearing him on the Devils broadcasts all the time, then you get into the Stanley playoff Stanley Cup playoffs, and there he was doing the playoff games too, whether it was the Devils or another team. And uh, and of course, in '95 the championship to New Jersey, the Devils win the yeah. Stanley Cup. So I, I, that was the, my first impression of Mike Amrick. They're, they're, the, the, the thing that you take from Doc when you listen to one of his broadcasts is the joy he has for what he does. When you hear Mike Amrick on a broadcast, you can hear in his voice his smile. You know there's not a place in the world he would rather be than at yeah. that game telling you all about it. And uh, – I, I didn't need to meet Mike Emmerich to get that from him. But um, admiring him as I did uh, when I was in uh, middle school, high school, um, I mentioned going to Devils games with a micro cassette tape recorder. And after the games, um, I would go over with my, my buddy Guy Benson and we would uh, introduce ourselves and say hello. And, and Doc uh, eventually came to, uh, to, to know us a little bit. He and Chico Resch on TV and on the radio it was Mike Miller and Randy Velashek. Um, those guys, uh, we, we pestered all of them. Now everybody knows Mike Emmerich now. So he's the one that, that comes up in conversation for good reason, because he's the best in the business. But uh, that, um, continued through the high school years to an extent. I remember giving him a couple of those VHS tapes, a couple of copies, uh, asking for his feedback. And that continued into my college years, uh, first at Syracuse and then at Fordham. And I was covering the New Jersey Devils for WFUV, a Fordham radio station. And when we, um, uh, we would have these workshops, broadcasters would come in and, and talk with the, uh, the aspiring student broadcasters. And, and again, I've uh, known Doc a little bit, but I remember we, um, we, we walked to the Metro North train stop together. He was taking the train back to, uh, back to New Jersey, I guess, or maybe to Madison Square Garden. And uh, he and I walked to the train together, and I, um, I remember wanting to ask some questions that had not been addressed during the workshop. And um, I, I, I guess <laughs> that um, he, his interest was piqued by some of the questions I was asking because it, they weren't, uh, I, would, I would think, and I don't remember what exactly we talked about, and I only know this because he has since brought it up with other people. <laughs> uh, but but, I, but I, I think that I was not asking, hey, job, how, do, how do I get a job in this business? It was more about the craft. It was more about how do you approach this? How do you prepare? Why do you use you know, this tense or why do you use this voice or um, how do you go about that? I think it was a little bit more um, a deeper conversation than perhaps he was accustomed to. And again, so that's just one snapshot of a relationship over the course of many years. 
Um, and then when I was looking for my first real job um, after school, it was um, an opening with the Devils minor league team in Trenton, New Jersey, the ECHL. And I remember sending Doc an email. Uh, hey, Doc, just wanted to let you know that I, I did get an interview with the folks in Trenton, and uh, it's on Thursday. I'll let you know how it goes. And a few minutes after I sent him that email, uh, he called my phone. And uh, that is a bizarre thing to happen when you look at your phone, and it's Mike Emmerich calling. Yeah. And uh, when we got when he uh, when I picked up, he said, Dan, when you go to the interview, you don't have to tell them what's on your resume. They, they've seen it and they they think it's good. You don't have to tell them about the kind of broadcaster that you are because they've heard your tape and they like it. So when you go to the interview, just show them how hard you're going to work for the organization. Show them what kind of an employee you are going to be, what kind of a teammate you'll be. And so I had that in mind, this little pep talk from Mike Emmerich. Uh, when I went to the interview on Thursday, and I, I met with a fellow named Jim Leahy, who uh, was a terrific boss um, for me, and, and uh, we had a long chat, and um, he eventually asked the question, do you have any questions for me? And uh, without hesitation, my response was, when can I start? <laughs> and I knew right away that either I got the job or I had shot myself in the foot. <laughs> And uh, Jim Lay, he rocked back in his, uh, his big leather office chair, tugged on his graying mustache and said, uh, you know, Dan, when I go and talk to my buddies uh, uh, sports business class at NYU every semester, I talk to them about getting a job and I tell them when you go in for the interview and they ask you, do you have any questions? The only response should be, when can I start? <laughs> so, so I figured that was probably a good thing. And um, and the rest uh, is, is history. I got the job and uh, then uh, to Syracuse and then to the Golden Knights. But I, I tell that story because um, Mike Emmerich didn't need to say to the Devils, you should hire this guy. He gave me the tools and the mindset to make myself the best candidate for the job. If not for that pep talk from Doc, I'm not sure I would have conveyed my interest in the job in the same way. When can I start? Um, that shows the, the devil's folks that I, I wanted to be there, not just for me, not for my career, for my betterment. I wanted to bring myself to the organization and make the organization better. And so that is a great lesson from Mike Emmerich in that it is not about you as the broadcaster. It is very much about what you do for your listener, what you do for your coworker. Um, we, um, we, how we conduct ourselves is, is essential to our success in this business. And I remember Doc bringing me to the TV truck to meet each of the people working behind the scenes, and he could talk to them each by their name. You could tell that he was uh, a regular presence behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. He didn't just show up when it was convenient. They knew him, he knew them, and had um, enormous res respect for the work that they do. And, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier about being kind and having respect for the people that you're working with. So uh, there have been many things that I've learned about broadcasting from Mike Emmerich, and, and I have many stories um, uh, that would uh, exemplify what I've learned from him. But I think that it, it comes back to those basic, basic things about caring for other people and caring about the work that you're doing. Yeah, and I actually, it's a funny story. I, I met Doc before. Um, I, after my day with the cup uh, on NBC, yeah. uh, Discover got me to go in between the benches uh, for the warm-up uh, at the Blue Jackets-Bissrew Penguins game. 
And then, I, and then I was going to go back up to the Discover box. And uh, I went and I was on the ice and I got in the elevator and there was Doc Emmerich. And I asked him and I started talking to him. It, it was around like a little time was running out before the game. Uh, so he was rushing. Uh, but that was my little run in with him. And I, I after I left the, the elevator, I was like, wow, I just missed uh, one of the best broadcasters uh, in the league. Uh, so that is an awesome story. Um, Zach, why do you think he's such a good broadcaster? What makes him good in your opinion? I, I think that his, first of all, his voice is iconic. And you can, and like you said earlier, you can tell the joy in his voice and that he, he really cares about it. Because if, you, if you're listening to someone talk about hockey or talk about anything, uh, whether that's a professor, a teacher, or uh, someone like, I'm taking driver's ed classes right now. Say even the driver's ed teacher. You want someone to be really passionate in what they're saying because that's going to make you care about it. And, that's right. And when I hear him uh, call out uh, the players' names or he shoots, he scores, or they win the Stanley Cup, like those are just things you remember uh, because you know how much he cares about it and makes you care about it. Like uh, the St. Louis Blues and uh, – that, that game seven, uh, I was actually in Ireland uh, last oh, wow. year. And it was, it was summer vacation, uh, but I wanted to watch the game even though it was at 2 a.m. Uh, so <laughs> I got up and I watched it. And I, those are just like things you remember. And I rem remember him calling mm -hmm. out who won and that the St. Louis Blues won. And those are just uh, the things that you remember uh, because of – his voice and what he does for sure and, and you said it a moment ago in fact it was advice that I received when I uh, was teaching at Syracuse University show them what you love yeah and if you as a teacher you as a broadcaster whatever you're doing if, if you have that passion for something and you can um, you it, it, it's contagious other people um, can see that um, how passionate you are and they want to be part of that. So that's, I, I, you said it really well. Yeah. And so now let's talk about uh, your first year in broadcasting in the NHL. You've worked uh, for the crunch, you've worked uh, for the other teams, and then you come to Vegas their first year, which a lot of people don't get to imagine. And your first year broadcasting in the NHL, you're covering the Stanley cup final, which <laughs> I, I mean, you can't ask for better. No. Uh, so how was how that experience? And talk about that moment because, I mean, you're sitting here, oh, my gosh, it's my first year, and I'm about to call game one on Memorial Day uh, in Las Vegas. Mm. Well, it turned out much like my first season in the American Hockey League, a, a fantastic run with a, a new association. The Crunch weren't a, a new team, but they had a new affiliate, Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm -hmm. And that year, the Crunch got to the Calder Cup final and lost. <laughs> and then in my final year with the Crunch, they got to the Calder Cup final and lost. Mm. So I had been accustomed to covering good teams, but who couldn't quite pull it off. And so in the Golden Knights, uh, week after week, month after month, kept on winning. I hesitated to get on board with the <laughs> thought of them actually winning a championship because uh, – I've covered a number of teams, whether professionally or in college, um, and I have broadcast a good number of 
championship rounds or, or final games, but I have never been on the winning side of those. Oh, I've boy. always been on the losing side. But you can't uh, say that in an interview. Or <laughs> I know. Well, that's the problem. So I, 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 that's why I, I hedged, I hedged as long as I could. And the first time that I allowed myself to think, oh my goodness, they could actually do it was when they won game one on Memorial Day yeah. of 2018. And as you know, Zach, they lost the next four yeah. games, their first four game losing streak. <laughs> so, so, uh, whoops. Um, well, hopefully I, I, that your curse uh, <laughs> will come off, uh, maybe this season or in the future. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, I have, um, you know, even in my very first year, and uh, as a matter of fact, it's, it's 20 years ago this week, I mentioned broadcasting in high school. My high school's lacrosse team was very good, and they made it to the New Jersey State Finals and lost. So this has been going on for 20 years. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I think that what you learn from those experiences, Zach, while it was my first season in the National Hockey League and uh, first year with an expansion franchise, it was not the first time for me going through a hockey season or being around a brand new team or being the first to be a broadcaster for a team. Um, when I was doing the Cape Cod Baseball League, there were no broadcasts prior to when the, the Chatham A's began broadcasting. So that was a, a brand new thing uh, and on and on and on. So um, the job that I do as a broadcaster doesn't change, whether it's a preseason game or a Stanley Cup final game seven. Does the intensity change? Are the stakes higher? Yes. But uh, at its core, I'm a journalist. I'm a reporter. And it is my job on our broadcast to convey the entertainment, to, um, to inform you, to enhance the broadcast, uh, to enhance the game with the broadcast so that uh, you listening at home can feel like you're right there experiencing it with me. And, um, and that's, uh, that's a heck of a challenge. And you, you, you know, just like an athlete, like you can't overthink it. Yeah. You don't want to be saying to yourself in the batter's box, oh boy, I better hit a home run here. If I don't, it's going to ruin my career. Well, that's no way to go into it, right? You, you go and you do the same thing that you've done hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times. Um, and you trust your experience. You trust the practice that you've had. And that will guide you to do the best work that you can. So uh, was, were there some surreal moments when um, you had to pinch yourself? Yeah, yeah. And I, as a matter of fact, that's that when they won um, game five in Winnipeg, that's, that's what came to mind. I said, um, you can try to pinch yourself, but you're not going to wake up. The Golden Knights are going to the Stanley Cup final. And that's what I felt. You know, that's not something I, I had scripted or had in mind. That's simply how I felt. Um, I don't script my calls. I don't believe in trying to, um, you know, put my print on, on a moment. It's not my moment. It's the yeah. team's moment. It's a player's moment. I'm there to capture it like a photographer would. Um, so I, I, I have uh, very special memories from that inaugural season. Would have been great to, uh, <laughs> to, to have a, a few more wins. But um, the number of people that I met over the course of that inaugural season, many are still with the Golden Knights, many are not. Um, the number of friends who came to visit, I, my, coincidentally, my, my parents who were, live in New Jersey, they had come out in November. My dad had a, a, a business project 
totally coincidental that had him in Las Vegas for a few months. He was in Las Vegas more than I was for November, December, January. So I got to spend a lot of time with my dad that year, which was very unexpected. Um, Then he would go back to New Jersey on the weekends to be with my mom and that sort of thing. But um, that was me. You know, one of my best friends um, came out to visit for the Stanley Cup final. So after they lost game five, you know, I got to um, spend the rest of that night not just wallowing in my own disappointment. I got to, uh, you know, I finally got to spend some time with my buddy who I don't get to see very often because we uh, are in different sides of the country and we travel so much. So uh, that, that the, the personal experiences are, are what will stay with me. Uh, but the excitement of that inaugural season is irreplaceable. You, you only have the first time once um, and yeah. they could win the Stanley Cup this year or next year and it would be fantastic. But I'm, I'm not sure that too many things could, um, could supersede what happened in year one. Yeah, and to put a cherry on top of all of that, uh, I mean, Doc, uh, who you looked up to uh, when you were younger, was calling the game with you uh, in a booth right, right near you. So, I mean, that must have been great, yeah. too. Right. Well, the, 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 the neat thing was Doc had never been to a game at T-Mobile Arena until yeah. the finals. Um, he's uh, based out of Michigan and Florida, so it's not too often that he's coming out to do West Coast games. And, uh, of course, it was the inaugural season, and he was doing the Eastern Conference in the playoffs. So when, um, when he was coming out, the uh, game one, as you mentioned, was uh, a Monday, Memorial Day. Media Day was Sunday at T-Mobile Arena. And uh, Doc had come in the night before, I guess it was late Saturday night. And um, while the media availability, the chance to interview players from both the Capitals and the Golden Knights was to be at T-Mobile Arena, the Golden Knights as a team were practicing about 15 miles away at City National Arena, where the club has its practice yeah. uh, facility. And um, um, Doc wanted to see them practice. So um, we had been exchanging texts and I said, well, you know, we can go out there. We can watch them practice. You know, like I'll pick you up. We could have breakfast and then we'll go watch them practice. And then we'll go back to T-Mobile Arena. So, um, so I did. I, I, I picked up Doc at, at his hotel that morning and we drove out to Summerlin and um, we had breakfast, which was great. Um, and <laughs> just a, a little moment that I, I chuckle at is when we went into a, this particular uh, restaurant for breakfast, um, the table at which we were seated was kind of near the front entrance. And so as we went to sit down, Doc asked, would you like to sit with your back to the front door? In other words, he thought that maybe people would recognize me (laughs) if my face was pointing towards the front of the restaurant. And I said, no, Doc, I think you probably should sit over. (laughs) So we we just had a great chat because we hadn't seen each other in person in a while, even if we, we talk on the phone or email or whatever. Um, anyway, so then we went over to the Golden Knights practice facility, and um, I had let a couple people know I was bringing them over. And so uh, George McPhee was there, the Golden Knights GM at the time, and now the president of Hockey Ops. Yeah. And George knows Doc um, for many years, including their Bowling Green connection. And uh, the owner of the Golden Knights, Bill Foley, was was there too, and Bill had not met Doc. So I got to introduce Mike Emmerich to, to Bill Foley, and then uh, Doc watched – practice with Bill, with George, and 
Um, and, and that was, that was pretty cool. And then, you know, Doc and I drove back down to T-Mobile Arena for the, uh, for the media availability later on. And that was sort of a neat day because on a game day, and certainly when you're getting ready for a broadcast, there's a lot to do. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people that you're interacting with. And the last thing that you want to do is get in a fellow broadcaster's way. So outside of a couple of pop-ins to say hi, you know, in the booth before the game, um, we didn't have uh, too much time to really chat uh, at the games. But that particular day, that Sunday, was uh, before the series started. That was the opportunity for us to, uh, to connect. It was pretty yeah. cool. So, uh, again, thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, so to cap it off, I, I think this will be fun uh, because every broadcaster has their own style. Uh, so let's say um, there's an empty net. Uh, I'm in Columbus, so we'll say the Gold Knights are playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. Blue Jackets uh, pull their goalie, and Marc-Andre Fleury has the puck, and he <laughs> is going to score a goalie goal. Give me your best uh, – he shoots, he scores, your, your best uh, a broadcast of that imaginary moment. Well, well the first question I'd have is, would they shoot off the cannon? Because if they're shooting off that darn cannon, I'd have to hold on to something. Because no, that... because Fl- Flurry's on, Flurry's on the, the Gold Knights, so they would not. That's, tr- that's true. Good. <laughs> so it's so it's let's say it's a one nothing game, and he's he's there to put it because the fewer cannon shots, the better. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, well, I've I remember. Used to it. Yeah, yeah, well, because I I mean I think it's a neat touch, and I love it. It's just. If you're not accustomed to it, it can scare the heck out of you. So, If they're having the Hub City in Columbus, uh, I'll be interested to see how that turns out. (laughs) We we were there, I forget if it was this year or last year, but the the, the broadcast booths uh, in Columbus have glass between them so you could see the next booth. And um, I saw the clock ticking down, and I, I, I realized that they were about to shoot off the cannon before the game. And Dave Gosher, I could see his back was sort of a, you know, he was turned away from the ice. Yeah. And he was going to sip his coffee. And I, it, was like, it was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. As he was going to sip his coffee, they shut off the thing. Oh. And he, thankfully, he did not spill it on himself or anybody else. But you could just see, oh, my God, it was almost a disaster. Uh, oh. But, but uh, no, if it, were, if it were the Knights and, and the Blue Jackets, you know, uh, here comes Nick Foligno down the right side into the offensive zone for the Jackets with 15 seconds to go. He puts it on goal to save by Flurry. He steps beside the net. He's going to shoot the puck. It goes towards the empty net. It's in. He scored. Flurry scores a goal. That is great. How about that? <laughs> well, maybe it'll happen, uh, maybe not against Clump, hopefully not against Columbus, uh, but maybe against another team, and I'd love to hear that. Uh, oh, that, boy. <laughs> that, that was exciting. And now I, I want that to happen in real life now. And if that ever happens, Flurry scores a goal. You'll say Zach Rodier, uh, he, he knew this was going to happen one day. So that I, you get the credit for that. No yeah. doubt about it. I'm, I, I hope you save the, the audio of that Zach so they can, they can play it back. Just yeah. Proof. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Dan, uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for coming on. And, uh, do you have anything else to add? Well, I would just say, Zach, it's fantastic for you to have created this podcast and, and I've listened and, and I've read about the work that you're doing. It's awesome. And Thank uh, you. 
you're you're 16 years old are you sure <laughs> uh, 16 on the 25th of june so wow well uh, ha happy birthday Thank and uh, and that's that's just uh, amazing because while you know i i kind of joke having been uh, broadcasting for 20 years i so often think about the moments in broadcasting and in hockey and in sports when i was uh, in high school when i was around your age and those are, are still some of the most special experiences in my life. And they're formative experiences. And I always enjoy coming across someone who's currently in those shoes. So yeah. uh, I, I love talking with, with people like you. And this has been a great conversation, Zach. So uh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I, I look forward to listening to more episodes of your show and uh, looking forward to, to following your path, whatever you. uh, it might be. Yeah, and uh, what? Uh, make sure uh, everyone that you listen uh, to Dan, your podcast as well. Uh, what's the name of it? Uh, the official sure. Name? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the podcast is it's the SLGND podcast, and if you search Vegas Golden Knights, uh, it'll come up. It's Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave, but just SLGND is uh, <laughs> is how we shortened it. Uh, but it's it's the official Vegas Golden Knights podcast, and if you find the team on. Uh, on SoundCloud or on uh, the Apple podcast or Spotify. It's everywhere. If you yeah. want to find it, uh, you can track it down. All right. Uh, thank you, Dan. And uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you, Zach. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that great, amazing interview with uh, the radio play-by-play -play announcer for the Vegas Gold Knights, Dan Duva. Um, I personally love that interview. It was really fun um, to hear the excitement in his voice uh, with that flurry goal call uh, I thought was really neat and exciting. Uh, also, hearing all the great stories uh, with Doc Emmerich and everything that he's gone through from going through the AHL uh, to now the NHL and the big leagues. I thought it was an amazing story. Uh, and Dan, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast. Um, but now let's get into NHL news. Um, right after the podcast was released on Tuesday, we got some breaking news that I don't think any reporters, even the insiders at TSN, were expecting um, to happen at that time. But the NHL and the NHLPA announced that they released a date for training camps. That is July 10th. And according to Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic and TSN, that makes it possible for games to start around August 1st, uh, a few days after, a few days before that. But August 1st, uh, I know we're still in June, um, but that seems close uh, to me. I'm really excited to get hockey going. But uh, there was an asterisk on all of this. They said the training camps will only happen if A, medical officials say that it's safe enough, and B, that there is an agreement on play-by-play, -play, uh, excuse me, on the return to play um, announcement because the NHL is not going to start training camps until they know that they're actually going um, to play. Uh, and that still requires an NHL PA vote. And we'll get into that later on. But I feel that this is great because the NHL had to release a date shortly because they had to tell players who are in Europe and far away, especially if they're in Canada, because there's a 14 day quarantine in Canada. Uh, at this moment, the players need to know we got to get back uh, to our 
team cities so we can be ready for training camps because training camps are mandatory, unlike Phase 2, which is going on right now. And talking about Phase 2, a lot of great reports. Uh, I know if you're on social media and you follow a specific team uh, that's one of those 24 teams and they're having their facilities open, uh, you've seen some players with skates and helmets and jerseys on chewing some pucks. And I mean, I know we haven't seen it in a while, but man, is that exciting to see that that is starting to happen. Um, There's great sights, but like I said, there is still a lot to happen. Um, There's not a lot of more news on um, the training camps right now. Um, The NHL and the NHLPA is still working um, on protocols and how that's going to go. But we did get some information, and I don't know if this was somewhere else, uh, but the place I found it uh, was Aaron Portsline of The Athletic. He said that there would be a 28-player uh, roster list um, for the training camps and that there would be an unlimited amount of goalies. So 28 skaters and unlimited amount of goalies. Um for the training camps. But now let's get into the hub cities. And I want to clear things out uh, because there's been a lot of report reports swirling around the hockey world um, this week. Um, first of all, there was a report that Las Vegas, Nevada has already been selected as a hub city. And that was from uh, an article from a place in Las Vegas, um, places like the Athletic, Sportsnet, and other um, big news media uh, for hockey, they're saying that it isn't exactly the case. Um, the NHL hasn't made any formal uh, decision, but it is extremely, extremely likely. Um, I mean, if not to make a pun or anything, but if you could bet on it, you could definitely bet a lot of money that Vegas is going to be one of those hub cities unless something goes terribly wrong. Um, but it is extremely likely that that that's going to happen. We're hearing about announcement on uh, June 22nd for those, and that's probably going to happen very soon. But the NHL PA, um, the executive board with 31 team reps, that is going to happen this week, and they're going to be discussing the hub cities. Um, But just to refresh your memory, we're still talking. Vegas is probably going to be one, I would say, most definitely. Um, But we're looking for that other one now. Now, the finalists besides Las Vegas of those top 10, like Gary Bettman said, was Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver. Now, there's different criteria. Hotels in the bubble life. Um, They have to have a nice, large, luxury hotel. Um, They want families. uh, Maybe families would come in. Uh, They also want there to be a lot of restaurants. Uh, they would um, definitely, they are looking to own basically restaurants, own and operate them. Um, they're looking to give players a lifestyle besides being in the hotel and in the rink. Um, and they're also looking at facilities. They need quality dressing rooms. They need a lot of ice for practices. And when it comes to location, we're still thinking Canada still has that 14-day quarantine but it is expected that Canada does and will uh, eliminate the 14-day quarantine. We'll have to hear about that very shortly. Um, but if they do eliminate that quarantine, 
for the NHL, it's very likely that there will be a hub city in Canada because the NHL has been pushing it. And if the NHL is pushing it so hard, they definitely want one in Canada. A, because it's cheaper because of the Canadian dollar. And B, because there's a lot of Canadian fans and they want to put it in Canada, even though there will be no fans. And the last criteria uh, would be that there's got to be COVID-19. There's got to be not a lot of COVID-19 and a lot of tests. Um, But there's a lot of issues with your thinking. The NHL is going to choose the best possible hub cities. And right now, we don't know who those are. Uh, Probably Vegas, like I said, is going to be one of them. But there's still other issues. Um, if you does there have to be one American, one Canadian hub city? Does there has to be have to be one East and one West hub city? We don't know. And the NHL says that they're just going to choose the best ones. Um, but then the issue, if there is one East and one West, will they want Las Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights, playing in Vegas? I personally don't think there's any problem with that because they'll be staying at the hotel just like every other player. Um, There's no fans. And yes, they may know their dressing room, but that's not really going to give them an advantage. They may not even get to be in their home dressing room. Um, So I really don't think there's an advantage. The NHL is saying that it's not really a deal breaker and they still have to decide on that. I personally, again, don't think that matters um, because yes, they will want an East and a West for time differences, But let me tell you this, if you put, let's say, and I'll talk about the front runners, but let's say Toronto is the other hub city, you're going to put the Eastern Conference in Las Vegas, which is at Pacific time, and you're going to put the Vegas Golden Knights and all the other Western Conference teams in the Eastern time zone. That is would not work to me um, because if you're saying, okay, we want it, we want the Vegas Golden Knights um, to be in prime time in Pacific time. We want it to be at seven o'clock or we want it to be at eight o'clock. If it's going to be a seven o'clock Pacific time game, you're talking about starting the games in Toronto at 10 p.m., you cannot have that. The NHL is not going to have their players play that early. I mean, excuse me, that late in the day. They're not going to have their players starting to play at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. They they just can't have that. And they're not going to tell, like, if we're talking about Eastern Time um, and they want a 1 o'clock game, uh, they're not going to tell their 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time um, to get prime time for Toronto they're not going to tell um, the players in Las Vegas, which are the Eastern Conference teams, oh, you have to play a game at 10 a.m. That's not going to happen, and that's not fair to the players. It, that's why I just think having the Eastern Conference in the Eastern Conference in the Pacific, at the Western Conference in the Western Conference, is going to be so much easier because of the time zones. And when you have an East and a West, you have the different time zones uh, for TV times, and all the games aren't playing at the same times. Um, but the front runners, like I said, Las Vegas. Uh, there's thinking about um, going to non-gaming hotels like um, the Delano, um, and they're also going to have different securities and 
have amenities, restaurants, maybe golf courses, and things like that. Also, the next one is Toronto. If the Canadian, like I said, they really want a Canadian hub city. Um, so if the quarantine is wiped out, they would want a Canadian and an Eastern, and that is Toronto. They've held a lot of other events there before, like the World Cup of Hockey. There's a lot of hotels, top-notch, top-notch restaurants, uh, and there's other ices there as well. Now, a pick that I didn't see. So if you can't go into Canada, people are talking about L.A. Um, being one. First of all, it's good because that's not a team uh in the 24 teams, they won't be playing. But I think the COVID-19 levels are a little too much for there. Um, but who knows? I think they could do it. Uh, the Athletics saying it's a, still a possibility. But there's bowling alleys. There's Rich Carlton. There's restaurants. There's a lot of things for them to do. So that's a, another possibility. Um, if there was another Canadian hub city, there would be Vancouver. Uh, if that what if it wasn't Toronto. They have enough space. And again, if you can't go to Canada, it's literally between L.A. and Chicago at this point, unless something goes wrong. And I was kind of surprised, and a lot of people are surprised about Chicago, but that's because they've had a lot of events there before. Um, They think there's enough larger luxury hotels. Um, They can create a tight bubble with chains of hotels and restaurants and that there would be a good lifestyle there as well. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, but there's still other backup options if none of that works out. The number one backup option is where I am in Columbus, Ohio. Um, the great thing is is that there's Ohio State University ice rinks really close by, and there is um, a practice facility attached to Nationwide Arena. The problem is, is they don't think that there's enough restaurants in uh, life uh, and that they can really keep the bubble tight. I mean, I disagree, of course, because I live here and I know what's here. Um, but I think you could do that with any hub city, any of these uh, defend your city um, because you live there. Um, Pittsburgh also, that is behind uh, Columbus. Uh, but the issue is also if they could keep the bubble tight and give um, the players enough to do besides the rink in the hotel. Um, Fallen from the front runners is Minnesota because of uh, the protests and the riots and uh, the defunding of the police. There's just a lot of things that are up in the air right now, and the NHL doesn't know if they'll have enough certainty that everything is great in in Minneapolis um, and in Minnesota when they have to make that decision very soon. Um, but there's Dallas and Edmonton. Um, there's problems with the hotels not being big enough. Um, I know that's a lot to take in and that some of it may not make a lot of sense, uh, but I I think the thing to know is they are going to choose the best hub cities um, for health, for player lifestyle, because they want to make this as appealing as possible so the players come back. And again, there's still a lot of hurdles to be. Who has to be tested? How many tests? All of that is still up in the air. And if the NHL can't make the lifestyle nice enough for the players, the NHLPA is not going to agree to come back. And that is the NHL's number one goal is to get the players to agree to come back, get in those training camps, 
and get started on August 1st. It's a lot to know right now. And the NHL is working as hard as they can. And we're going to get clarity of when things start to come uh, and become relevant. But right now, again, we don't know much. It's all pure speculation. Besides that, there's a great, great chance that Vegas is one of those hub cities. The other ones, there's new reports every day. So you don't always know. Um, But again, make sure you listen to the podcast. We'll have great information for you every week. And Things change throughout the week uh, between podcast to podcast, so make sure to follow us on social media as well. Um, but regarding NHL news, uh, besides the training camps, not a lot of other news. The NHL PA will be meeting this week uh, to talk about the hub cities and everything else, and uh, the CBA is also uh, looking at a four- to five-year extension, and we'll talk about that, uh, including everything else next week. Um, but that's all we have for the NHL news this week of the week of the podcast, which will be released on June 16th. That is your NHL news for the week of June 16th. I hope you enjoyed uh, that great interview with Dan Duva and the NHL news. I know it was a little confusing today. Um, it's just there's so many reports and things to comprehend. And even I don't uh, know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and there's a lot of information with every hub city. Um, and all of this information just came out very recently. So still trying to um, put my wrap my head around all this information. Um, but of course, like I said, things change all the time. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at Hockey HQ Podcast and on Facebook and Instagram at Quarantine Hockey HQ. If you have any questions about NHL news, uh, we'd love to do a mailbag and things like that. So hit us up on social media or leave us a voice message. Uh, we may even put it on the show. Um, Anchor.fm slash Quarantine Hockey HQ. If you want to listen to last episode, past episodes, um, be sure to go to link tr.ee slash Quarantine Hockey HQ. Because I know uh, with the interviews and everyone, uh, we have a lot of new listeners every single week. So be sure to go back and listen to our past interviews. We have great ones uh, that I think you'll enjoy. But again, I again I said this last week. I can't believe this is um, our eighth week. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for your support. And we'll keep going. Uh, so... Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you. I'll catch you next week. Thanks.